Impact and Fix Spec, this is Founders Anonymous, the podcast that helps you move your business up a gear. I'm your host, David Trott. And I'm Chris Lees. Welcome to Founders Anonymous. I'm David Trott. And coming up this week, it's not you, it's me. We take a look at positioning yourself as a supplier. How can you make your junk more attractive? Social breakdown. We explode another piece of content during the rounds on Twitter this week. With me today, and as patient as ever, is Chris. How's your week been? My week has been awesome so far. We have a lot of sales conversations going on, which I am super excited about. So finally, my marketing and sales strategy is reaping dividends. So I'm very happy about that. What about yours? Oh, yeah, I've had a great week. I've had a really good week. Um, you will be delighted to know that yet again, one of our listeners has sent me a present. Awesome. What is so, it? Can I eat it? Uh, not this one. No. Oh. So let's. Uh, so I should probably say some thanks, first of all. So firstly, I have to say a huge thanks to Rich Jones who gave me a jumbo pack of Jaffa cakes, which is just the best present. I, I can't think of anything I want more in life. I am life. still waiting for my roll of Jaffa cakes, by you the way, David. You will be waiting a very long time. Um, and then I also have to thank our listener, John Schilling, who, after listening to some of our mini-series on productivity and tasks, he sent me a book. He sent me a Oliver Berkman's book, 4,000 Weeks, mm. which I'm yet to start reading. But again, absolutely brilliant. Uh, so I've had gifts from listeners, and then on Monday night I went axe throwing. Awesome! Which was just incredible. It is so much harder than it looks. Were you drunk? Uh, not at the beginning, no. Okay. No, but t- towards the end. Okay. <laughs> I was getting there. Um, and I also have to say a huge thanks to Vic Turnbull um, from I, I never know how to say this, whether it's Mike Media or MIC Media. Um, she's given us a whole load of help on podcast production, audio editing stuff. So uh, listeners may not have noticed, but the intro to this episode is slightly different to all previous episodes. Mm. It should sound a little bit cleaner. Mm, And the outro will as well. Sorry, I can't quite get past the fact you still haven't given me the Jaffa kicks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very glad that you're getting gifts. So this season, we've been spending a lot of time talking about productivity and making sure we're using our time efficiently. But we still haven't really tackled why things often feel like an uphill struggle or a bit hit and miss. Your products appeal to some prospects perfectly, but then it's hard to sell to others. David, have you ever had that feeling that it's it's not them, it's you? <laughs> all the time. Yes, all the time. Um, all right, this is like, this is the, the curse of running your own business, right? So it's just the nature of the market. Some people want your product, some people won't, okay? Mm-hmm. But then even within your target market, they kind of split into two, don't they? So there are people who instantly recognize that that is exactly right for them. Yes. Um, and then there are people that, you know, are, are stubbornly resistant or for some reason it, it just doesn't click, right? Right, and and those people, unfortunately, are, are rarely help you in articulating exactly why it doesn't stick because probably they themselves don't know but that's the biggest challenge i always face a lot is you know some people absolutely get it they're completely on board with the vision uh and other people just don't get it Uh, so how do you deal with those conversations then uh it's so it's very difficult but one of the things that i'm i'm learning through the sales and marketing process that we now have in place is to try to sort of understand and reposition the products in a different way yeah Uh, and one of the things that i've really tried to work out is um how do we how do we stop positioning ourselves as as a replacement 
In fact, a replacement for something that they're already doing. Right. Right. So you always talk about greenfield sites and brownfield sites. A greenfield site is where you are building something for, for the very first time. And brownfield is obviously your, in the case of business at least, you're possibly replacing a process that they have today. Perhaps they're a little bit unhappy with the way that the process is going. They want to take it off their plates. But when you're in that second camp of trying to um, sell a replacement of what they already do today, you immediately hit up against this wall of why do I have to do this right now? Can I just can I just get away with carrying on as, as I always have done, right? There has to be some other external driving mechanism that actually forces them to actually make a change. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very painful situation to be in. The flip side to that, though, is if you have one of those conversations where people are not uh, coming to the table with that amount of baggage, and they see something that you're trying to put in front of them as being brand new and exciting, then they're far more likely to actually go ahead with it. Yeah. Okay. So I've, first thought is, right, this might not necessarily apply in all situations, right? Because mm-hmm. say, for example, the, the, the example we always talk about in this podcast is an accountant selling tax returns, right? Yes. Uh, that's not a new thing. You, it just needs doing. So you either pay someone to do it or you pay a different person to do it, right? It's, yes. so, so there are some situations in which this might not be the case however in those situations where it feels like you're not getting traction in those sales conversations this might be something you could explore right yeah absolutely so so let's take a slightly different example let's say that you wanted to uh, establish yourself as a uh, as a tiktok star right <laughs> and you had no idea how to start a tiktok uh, set up, you've, you've never done this before, and you approach, for example, a, a, an agency who can say, all right, I'm going to sell you a TikTok package um, and uh, we will make you a, a TikTok sensation. That, to the right person, feels like a very exciting proposition. Yeah. If you've already started down the TikTok route and you're getting a little bit demoralized with the whole thing, then actually what you're, what you're trying to propose there is a replacement. Right? You're trying to go in and you're trying to convince them, we can do it better than you can do it. Yep. Um, and that's a different conversation. It's a slightly harder conversation, in fact, to have. So one, one thing we see a lot in our industry, especially with web design, right? I don't know why web designers fall into this trap more than anyone else. Web design and SEO, right? They're, the cold email stuff you get from web designers, half of it, let's say 50% of cold emails that come out from web designers is of the flavor, I've seen your website and it's shit. Yes. Let me do something else, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of the same. Like instantly, you've got their backs up. Your starting point is slagging off their work, right? Yep. And that's never a great prospect for, yep. you know, for sales. There's a reason why salesmen don't start conversations by telling people their clothes are shit. Um, so how do you create something new and exciting in a conversation where actually what you are doing is selling a replacement? Um, I think it's about finding the right person. And the, and the right way that you, you, that you talk about it, right? So in, in my specific industry, I, I sell software, which helps people at a quite granular level inside of a firm uh, do the particular function that they do in a more efficient way, yeah. right? Now, pitching to them is, it's always that double-edged sword of, I'm going to massively improve your day and make you more efficient. Um, if they're a little bit insecure in their job, they might think, 
uh, hang on, Chris, if I buy your software, then you're going to replace me, right? It's a replacement conversation. Uh, and quite quickly, the conversation becomes about, well, I do this very quirky little thing. Can you perfectly replicate that? And if you can't do that, then I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, you know, I, I can't use your stuff at all. Even within that exact same firm, if you find somebody slightly different, who's a little bit further away from that, that concept, um, it might land differently, right? So if I talk to somebody who's like a head of IT, for example, and I talk to him about the concepts of workflow automation and, you know, uh, benchmarking performances of processes and KPIs and dashboards and all of that sort of stuff, for them, that lands as a new capability. Yeah. Right. So it's this old adage that, you know, everybody always says in sales about finding the right person and knowing who you're actually selling to. What I'm doing here is I'm actually kind of uh, hitting on exactly the same point, but in a slightly different way, which is the pitch that you give to people lands differently depending on who it is you're actually talking to. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, and I guess some of this is about the the pitch itself, right? So you might not always be able to find the exact person that will feel that this is a new and exciting thing. You might just end up stuck trying to pitch to the guy who sees it as a replacement. So then the, the challenge for you, I guess, is how do you change the pitch to try and introduce something new and exciting? It's So somebody told me this great example a little while ago about uh, personal trainers, and it, and it very much is the way that you market the personal training business, right? So personal trainers, they all do exactly the same thing. There's varying degrees of heaviness that you need to lift, <laughs> right? That's it. That's the job of a personal trainer. I'm sorry, I've just offended a load of personal trainers. But, you know, uh, but how does a personal trainer market their services? They could talk about fitness and they could talk about that sort of outcome, or they could talk about a lifestyle, Right, and the guys who uh, who say uh, it's a lifestyle, this is your aspirational lifestyle that hopefully will resonate with you, they tend to have a better success rate. Yeah, sure. We could take this anywhere, right? You know, for example, if you were to run a dry cleaners somewhere, right? It's not just about cleaning clothes. It might be about how that makes you feel when you put on a nicely pressed shirt um, from a from a dry cleaner somewhere in. Uh, Ultron. Yeah, wondered when that was going. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so this is about a, a lot of the times when we talk about sales conversations, we, we call this the the differentiator, don't we? So what what's going to make you different to everyone else? And in an industry like, for example, personal training, then I imagine a lot of the pitches are fairly similar. I wouldn't know because difficult to believe to look at me, but I don't have a personal trainer. Um, <laughs> But the challenge is what what's your quirk? What's going to make you stand out from the competition? We and we do this in every industry, right? Yeah, and I, I do I do think I do think that thinking about how you can position or repackage stuff that you do to introduce a new capability that actually gets people excited about stuff that is yeah. that is a, a key thing, right? Interesting. Okay, so how do we start figuring out? all this stuff then. So if we're sitting there thinking, today's the day we're going to work on our pitch, right? Here's how we're going to position our product or service. Here's how we're going to talk about it. These are our USPs, right? How do we start to to figure out all of this and make sure that we are not only different to our competitors, but we feel new and fresh and exciting? So I think we should explore this in the next episode to make this a two-parter. If you th- if you think about what it is that your the buyer of your product or service actually wants, Typically, they want to grow, 
Yeah. And they want their costs to go down. Now, if you're selling them some sort of agency style service, which is going to increase their costs, then obviously they're going to start thinking, how do I get the corresponding amount of revenue in the door to offset that cost? And only when they reconcile that in their heads will they even go forward. So uh, this is why I say, if you, if you think about new capabilities, then you can uh, start to make that shift. Okay. Well, let's do that then. Let's make it a two-parter. So next week, what what's the challenge? Yeah, I think it, I think it's about buyers, and I think it's again we're going to focus a little bit on agency-style businesses here in terms of you're selling a service to them. Yep. We should put ourselves in the shoes of those buyers and work out what are the drivers, because that in turn will help flip it around and work out how you should present yourself to them. Cool. Sounds good. It's time for Social Breakdown, the section of the show where we take something we found on social media this week and ask, is it useful or is it shite? Chris, what are we tackling this week? All right, so this week we're going to tackle a tweet that actually uh, we talked about a little while ago, um, and it's from uh, Ryan Law. I'm just going to read it out. Uh, So the last year has seen a huge recognition of the importance of content marketing. Salaries are up, job titles are better. But there's one role which still is still chronically undervalued across the board. Editor. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I love this one. I love this. So I'm going to start this by saying that I, 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 I'm a little bit in love with Ryan Law himself, right? So um, Ryan is, I, I think he's the VP of content uh, at a company called Animals. Animals with a Z, mm-hmm. um, who I think I'm right in saying work with SaaS companies. Um, but they have a blog. Their own blog is without doubt the single best blog I've ever seen. It is incredible. And I mean that in terms of the quality of the content they put out. Okay. The depth of research that goes into it and just the sheer unadulterated value that is delivered with each piece of content. And that is because they have good editors. It's because not only is their content production brilliant, but their editing is also top mm-hmm. notch. Right. So if you if you approach this from let's let's just look at what the, the sort of content production landscape looks like in a typical agency or a typical business that's engaged in content marketing, right? So you do the initial research bit, you get your keywords or you talk to clients or you, you brainstorm a whole load of ideas, you come up with a load of topics, and then someone goes away and they write the piece of content. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and then what happens is it just gets published. And put yep. out the world. Um, it might go through a fairly minimal editing process. Someone might look over it for typos or for split infinitives, or it might go to the SEO guy to format it in, you know, into its H1, H2, and H3 headings and make sure the keywords are in there and all that sort of stuff. It might do that, but it might not. It might just go straight up on the website. Yep. Okay. And the role of the editor is either restricted to someone who makes sure that you haven't made any spelling mistakes. Yep. Or someone that fulfills their specific function. So turning this piece of content into something that's a bit more SEO optimized. Like that editing function is fairly minimal. And if you contrast that with the role of an editor in journalism, for example, right? In journalism, the editor is all powerful, Mm -hmm. right? It's the most important function. Um, yet we don't tend to have that when it comes to producing content for our own business. So my argument, the reason I love this tweet is I think, I think Ryan's spot on. I think there is, there is a profoundly overlooked role 
for someone that has that not just sort of directional and strategic control over your content and what you're producing and to what level, but also the quality control. And, like, and if anyone else put this tweet out, I'd probably read it and go, yeah, all right, yeah, fine. It's important that we don't have spelling mistakes. But because it's come from this guy and I've seen the content that his company puts out, yeah. it made me stop and think, actually, there is a fundamentally important role for editing in the content production process. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I've never been able to articulate it in a good way before. How many firms are not at a size where they have an independent editing function, right? Because I'm imagining that a lot of firms are pretty small and they're frankly just glad to get somebody writing some level of content that they can possibly get out. Yeah, okay. And, and I guess the point is you don't need to have a specific editor as a specific role and an, a, a dedicated person, right? Mm. Part of this tweet is also that that process of editing with the mind of an editor is important. So for smaller firms that, that don't have someone that they can recruit to do that, the message is still, yeah, here's your content production workflow. Now you need to build in a process where you look at this, not from the the eyes and perspective of somebody that has produced this content, but from the eyes of an editor mm. and say, is this, is this good enough? Yeah. Right. So the classic example, the thing that always makes me just want to headbutt a lawnmower right in the blades is when you see like a piece of content that go out with titles like five ways to get more engagement on your Facebook posts. Yeah. And you click on it and number one is something like write more engaging Facebook posts. And somebody like... At some point, someone's written that and gone, oh, well, that's, that's good enough, isn't it? Like an editor would take that person and stick their foot right up their ass and say, that is, that's just shit. Do mm. that again, right? And there is this tendency, especially in smaller firms, that like the idea of producing a piece of content and publishing something, that's, that's enough. Like that's the aim of the game. We've got something out there. It's out in the world. And if yeah. I just keep doing that enough... And if I keep doing that every week, then all riches will come to me. And it's bollocks, right? The, the most important thing is that you produce content that is good and valuable. And the only way to do that is to introduce a process whereby you have a hypercritical eye, not just on, on the words themselves, but on the direction of the content as a whole. Yeah. And that's the role an editor plays, whether it's a specific person or whether it's just a process that's built into your content production process. Mm. You know, it, it still it needs to be there. And that's why I think this tweet is is brilliant. So it's actually, uh, this is a very timely conversation for us, in fact, because only earlier this week did you and I sit down and chat a little bit about the content that Fixpec is is putting out. And one of the comments that you made was uh, certainly re re repurposing uh, content repackaging it in a slightly different way and putting it out again. Is, is there a, a role kind of for a second level of editing of the stuff that you've put out? Is this a great opportunity to say, spend some time, go back and look at everything you've done, re-edit it, come up with a better version and then put that out? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And our, that repurposing thing is about is about making the effort that you've already put in, making it work for you and get extracting maximum return from that. Okay, yeah. so we're all guilty of producing a piece of content and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a podcast episode. It could like be this. like this. It could be a blog article. It might be a thread on Twitter. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, but you put it out into the world and it gets, you know, the response it gets. It might go somewhere, it might not. Mm. But then you've moved on and you're on to creating the next thing and that thing is forgotten now. 
Yeah. Um, and so it just decays, right? It's just gone and you've all that effort you've put in, you've got, you know, maybe three likes on it and yeah. well done. Was that worth worth your time? Whereas you can take a single piece of content and turn it into multiple different pieces of content. Yeah. Right. And then you can expand on those things. So let's say I wrote a blog article that was five ways to get more engagement on your Facebook posts. Right. And let's say it's a brilliant article. I publish it and I put some social media posts out and they get minimal engagement and then I've moved on. What if I didn't move on? What if I took that piece of content and I turned that written blog article into a Facebook live video mm-hmm. and then I turned it into a downloadable checklist? Mm-hmm. And what if I turned it into the topic for a podcast episode? And what if I did some audio snippets from that podcast episode and used those as social posts? And what if I took the entire principle of Facebook engagement and I started reaching out to other people that are good in this field as well and said, look, well, I've written this article. I want your take on it as well. And I start getting guest articles. Yeah. And then for each of those guest articles, I turn those into a Facebook live broadcast or I get someone to create an animated explainer video. And suddenly this one bit of work that I've done has generated 20, 30, 40, 50 different pieces of content that are all working towards the same goal, right? Yeah. And also, it takes a huge amount of pressure on off me because I don't need to sit there and go, right, well, what's the next bit of content I'm going to write? Mm. Because I've got this principle mm. and I'm just producing all lo- a whole load of stuff from it, yeah. right? So it's easier, but nobody does it. I'm thinking about a great title. It's even better than editor. And I'm, uh, the, the word that's coming into my head is content juicer. Somebody who is juicing the, all of the content that you already have and squeezing the maximum amount of value out of there. Yeah. And it's, it, that's exactly it. That's what you need to do. Content juicer. All right. Brilliant. Thanks for listening. And that's it for this week. You can email us directly on podcast at impactbiz.co.uk or get in touch with us via Twitter at foundersandnonpod. Don't forget, there's also our secret Santa suggestions line is currently open. Contact Chris or myself directly with your ideas for secret Santa gifts. And you can help us out by subscribing and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred player. We'll see you again next week. Have a great one. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Founders Anonymous is an impact and fixed production.